Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hi, everyone. I'm RJ Olmsted. I'm an MDiv student, a resident of Central Arizona, and an incredibly large fan of the book of James. It is an absolute honor to be welcomed back to Pickle Parables to talk about one of my favorite passages in the Bible today. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive right into James 1, 1 through 18. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the tried trueness of your spirit and for the community that people have found, not only in person, but in digital platforms, the wisdom and knowledge that is shared about your word and through the body of your church in all forms and facets. Please work through me, through this podcast, and through your spirit now that we might learn what it is that you have to teach us. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. Amen. Alright, whenever I do a focused Bible lesson, I always prefer to read through the whole passage and then begin the breakdown. So, James 1, 1 through 18 is going to be a lot, but starting from the top. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be found perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the brother of humble circumstances, is to glory in his high position. But the rich person is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. And its flowers fall, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So also the rich person, in the midst of his pursuits, will die out. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Whew. First of all, in the best way possible, that was a lot. For those who may not know, James spares no time in diving into his points, and right out the gate, just like all the other direct epistles, he dives into who he is, who he is writing to, and the first messages of his letter. Hunter did a great job discussing James's context and purpose and broader introduction in the first episode of this study, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. 
I do want to point out two quick things. Number one, I'd like to remind everyone that one of the most essential themes of James, and especially one of the core aspects of this passage, is faith. Faith is huge for James, and it is very present here. Number two is James's address to the dispersion of the 12 tribes abroad in the diaspora. People have had, still have, and will continue to have plenty of debates about how the broader church is interconnected with Old Testament Israel and how those two interact. The primary understanding for this study is just going to be that they are connected. The extent and the purpose and the restriction of that connection are their own discussions, and for the sake of this lesson, we're just going to simplify it down to James is addressing his audience with wisdom that is applied to the interconnected church, aka all those people bound together by faith. Now, for James's first point, I admittedly want to take some time to make sure we understand verses 2 through 4 specifically. There is no doubt in my mind that most of us, eh, maybe not most of us, but too many of us, have heard or read or seen verses 2 through 4 somewhere and just taken very little encouragement from it or even understood it properly. We've got joy, trials, endurance, perfection, and then it spills over into the next passage and it's wisdom, generosity without reproach, doubt, double-mindedness. If you get whiplash, you're not alone. But we do need to understand this, because right here is James's starting point for what good or proper or complete faith looks like. So for the sake of understanding, the first thing I want to do is uh, refer to some narrow definitions of terms. Verses 2 through 4 read, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be found perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. To start off, joy is a word that we often associate today with a kind of passive happiness. That is not the reality of joy here. Uh, the word kara is not directly translated as happiness for a reason. It's actually an intentional gladness, and it often takes effort. Even more than that, though, the Old Testament understanding of joy that led to the New Testament tradition's understanding of joy uh, was a love for wisdom. In other words, we should really be taking joy here as an intentional, efforted gladness in the love of wisdom. That's the first one. Next item is the word trials. And this one is tricky because it happens in two different places of our passage. I'm going to highlight verses 2 and verse 13. They mean two different things in their context. For this first context in verse 2, perasmus can be best understood as referring to the testing of something to reveal its nature through difficulties. In our world, it would be really easy to understand this as taking a jewelry piece to a professional jeweler to see if the materials that it's made out of are real. Is it real gold, real diamonds, real silver, real rubies, whatever? Put it on an anvil, put it in a steamer, whatever needs to happen. Is it real? A clear distinction here is that for verse 2, and I really want to be clear, the word is referring to difficulties to prove the nature of something, not sinful temptations. We'll talk about that in verse 13. Uh, but James here, totally, with what we've talked about for joy, is essentially saying, consider it an opportunity to love wisdom when we face difficulties. And that's interesting. And he begins to explain why uh, with the next term, endurance. Endurance here is a really broad term. I think we often associate it with prolonged active actions, right? Endurance running, endurance biking, endurance in learning, endurance for handling social situations that you don't really want to be a part of because you had a long day. That's our understanding of endurance. The trick here, though, is that endurance is perhaps better translated as steadfastness. 
or the ability to withstand. Instead of active motion, endurance here means the ability to, so on to speak, weather the storm, to hold fast, to remain standing. James, in other words, is essentially setting the stage here that the difficulties in our faith produce the ability for us to stand firm in our faith. The finishing of explaining why this is important actually happens in the next verse, though, in verse 4's use of the word perfect. Perfect here is actually a fun word for nerds like me. It's teleos. The word refers to the finishing of things, or the bringing of something to completeness, or what would probably be the best fit here for James, the achievement of something's being mature, or grown. In other words, James is saying the opportunities to love wisdom, the difficulties, and the withstanding all produce in believers maturity of faith. The difficulties aren't for nothing, and we should not greet them as such. Rather, we should acknowledge our growing ability to withstand and let that withstanding have its full effect that we can be found mature in our faith. If we were going to rephrase all of this, and this is by no means a perfect translation, so please don't take it as such, but it may be easier to understand verses 2 through 4 as... Regarded as a chance to love wisdom, my fellow believers, when you face difficulties of your faith in many kinds, knowing that difficulties of your faith produce the ability to withstand difficulty, and let that withstanding finish its work that you can be found mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the basis of James's teaching, and specifically the teaching of us about real, everyday faith. And as a result, the following verses actually work really well within this framework. A real everyday faith is going to ask questions. Are you lacking in wisdom that you can be mature in faith? Well, then ask in faith, but just don't doubt God's providence. Because if you're doubting, then you're not practicing basic faith, and you can't receive greater mature faith at that point. You don't have a lot of worldly wealth? Well, glory in your faith, as it is the most powerful and best thing you have. You have a great amount of worldly wealth. Well, glory in your being humbled, because in humility you have to depend on faith. Your wealth and your plans are going to wither away without you knowing, but your mature faith will remain. In the midst of all these things, believers are even blessed for persevering through their difficulties, because once they have matured in faith, they receive the crown of life, that glorious life which Christ promised for the faithful. This isn't a surprise for those of us who are maybe a little further along in faith because it's simply the gospel in the midst of difficulties of faith. James has done a little bit of ecclesiastical weaving and created for us a net to understand that wrestling in faith is a good thing because it makes us mature. And this mature faith is the grounds of our life with Christ. It's incredible. But here's the kicker. He hasn't mentioned sin yet. Whether I'm young in faith, or maybe beginning to mature in my faith, or maybe fully mature in my faith, what do I do when I face sin? How, what do I make of my faith then? Who or what do I blame for my sin if my faith is mature? Or even worse, who or what do I blame if my faith isn't mature? And don't worry, James is as direct as ever. He opens it up in verse 13 with, No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now here's where a little Greek comes in handy again, and if you can remember when I was defining terms, I mentioned that the same word, root word, is used in verses 2 and 13. Here's that second context. Originally we translated the word as trials, 
and it's better translated here as tempt or temptations, with regard to participating in or seeing evil where we saw perasmus earlier, it takes on a different meaning here. It means to be led into sin. In other words, James is saying here, when you falter in your faith when you sin, do not blame God. God cannot sin, and God does not lead others to sin. And that stings a bit at first, doesn't it? When you're facing difficulties that force you to mature in faith, glory in the maturity. But when you fall, don't blame God. That seems uneven at first. And then you read James's follow-up. For each one is tempted, led into sin. When he is carried away by his own lust or longings. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it brings forth death. To no surprise at this point for anyone paying attention to James, the Holy Spirit through James automatically has a response for us objecting to this quote-unquote unevenness, and it hits a little harder than before. It stings that we can't blame God? Well, of course it does. We're the ones at fault. God doesn't lead us into sin. We lead us into sin when we stop being faithful and we get carried away with our musings and worldly ideals, and then we fall into sin and death by living a life away from Christ. The real question becomes, why do we do that? Why do we all do that, no matter how mature our faith is and how old we are? Well, and I'm sure you're shocked by this at this point, but James responds in a way that's helpful to answering this verse uh, in verse 16, saying, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Or translated differently, Do not let yourselves be deceived, my beloved brothers. Again, the Holy Spirit works through James, and it hits a little harder. Why do we sin? Why do we pull away from Christ? Because we deceive ourselves. We convince ourselves that there is something better away from Christ, and we get proven wrong every time. James corrects this idea perfectly in the last two verses of today. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, within whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. For in the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Again, this is not a new concept to us about our faith. Our self-deception ends when we can acknowledge that the greatest good, the best gifts, the most authentic and good life is lived by acknowledging what Christ has done for us and faithfully living in response as the adopted children of God that we are in faith. I've been asked a couple of different times why I love James so much. And while this is just the beginning, it is a great example of how incredibly potent James's words are in describing real-life, tested, mature, developed faith. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't hesitate to put the gospel forward as the answer. So much so that in 18 verses, he describes the significance of wrestling in your faith the maturing in your faith, the living out that maturity of your faith, and the pitfalls of self-deception that happen at any point in that maturity, which are ultimately overcome by the word of truth, which is Jesus Christ's good news of life in him. I think one of the best biblical agreements to this is actually in Galatians 5, where Paul writes about the law of liberty or freedom, uh, which the gospel's freeing people from sin is what he's talking about. And towards the end, we see Paul describe walking in the Spirit, grievous sins and temptations, the fruit of the Spirit, very similar to James here. 
And in the second to last verse, verse 25 of Galatians 5, Paul states, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you were going to take anything away from James 1, 1 through 18, I would pray that Paul's words emphasize the significance of how James describes a genuine, real-life, everyday faith. It is tested to maturity, and it is corrected in God's goodness and the truth of Jesus Christ's promise of everlasting life. If we all walked around with an awareness of living out faith that way, I have no doubt that we would see some incredible changes in our relationships and communities, but that'll have to wait for the rest of James because we have some pretty great speakers coming up that are going to describe what James describes. One more time, real faith is tested to maturity and corrected in God's goodness and the truth of Jesus Christ's promise of everlasting life. I hope everyone has a good day. I hope you've had a good holidays. Peace and health to you all. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.